Well, as it's been snowing over the last few days, and I'm going to, normally we read scripture first, but I'm going to just include the scripture uh, in throughout this sermon. We're going to be in Philippians 2, which is on page 951 in your pew Bible. If you want to just kind of have it out, you can do that. But it'll also be on the screen above. But over this, uh, the past few days, as we've, had, as we've had a lot of snow, it's reminded me of a snowstorm that we had many years ago when I was living in Boston. And um, Boston winters are different than Minnesota winters. We get sort of the bitter cold. Once we get snow, it like never leaves for many, many months. That, that's not the case in Boston. It always kind of get the cycle of cold and then warm and some of it will melt and go away. But what Boston has that Minnesota doesn't have is an ocean. And you get sort of like when Chicago get the lake effect snow in Boston, you get these nor'easters that come down and they like spin around on the ocean and it just keeps picking up more and more uh, moisture and dumping more and more snow. And so we, I, I, there are a number of storms out there where we got like two feet of snow. And so then you come out, you can't see cars. You can, I mean, everything just comes to a complete halt. So a snowstorm like we got because of the ocean, it could have turned into like an 18 inches of snow snowstorm. And uh, the church that we were working at, I remember we had just moved, we were a church plant, and we had just moved from renting a building to owning a building. And I don't know if you guys remember if you were around for that transition, but there's a lot of like energy in the community to like kind of own all the chores of the church at that time. And so we were kind of in that phase of our church life. And we had this huge snowstorm that was approaching two feet of snow on a Saturday, or it happened before, and then on a Saturday, a call went out to everybody in the church over email, like, come down and dig the church out on Saturday so that we can have church on Sunday morning. And so I went down, it was about a 20-minute drive down to where the church was, and everybody brought their shovels, and I showed up. I was maybe 15 or 20 minutes late, so there's a group of people that had already gathered, and I was walking up with my snow shovel, and this church that we were part of, it was a multi-ethnic church, Less than 10% of people at this church were white. And so um, what happened was, as I approached this group of people, kind of this big Minnesotan carrying his shovel, wearing this cap, I think not super recognizable. The guy who had sort of like taken over leadership for clearing all the snow from the church, he was relatively new and he didn't know who I was, even though I was on staff at the church. And so as I um, approached this group of people, he started like barking orders to me, like I was a part of the snow, a snow removal service that the church had hired. And he, would, and he was just like telling me what to do. And it was like not a big deal, but the way that it unfolded was so confusing to me that he had, um, he had kind of just like assumed that uh, I worked for him and that he could tell me what to do, and he had like put me in this place of being his servant. And it was subtle, but I, re- I still remember that feeling of just going from this position of status, because I was on staff at this church, to this position of I'm beneath him and he gets to give me orders and tell me what to do. Again, a very small thing, but I, I remember it, and I think I also remember how disarming it was and how much it kind of revealed about what was going on inside of me. Now, this guy, his name was, is Ben. He was an MIT professor, and he was better with numbers than people, so a lot of it could be chalked up to his social awkwardness. But it still revealed to me how, um, how much I was kind of leaning on the status that my position afforded me. 
as a person on staff at this church and how much I disliked sort of being dressed down or put in my place or dismissed and, and placed in this role of servant in front of others. It's especially because there was other people around who knew who I was and were like, what is happening here? And it was this kind of embarrassing moment for me. Now, have you guys ever experienced anything like that where somebody has attempted successfully or unsuccessfully, to sort of try and put you in your place or put you in a lower place than you think you deserve, treated you like you were below them. Maybe sort of the classic example, you know, you start a new job and somebody does like the power play and asks you to get them coffee. You're like, that's, that's not my, it's not why I was hired to get you coffee. But like in that moment, it can feel like someone's clearly establishing who's higher and who's lower in this relationship. Maybe it happens in your marriage. Maybe you've experienced that dynamic where your spouse is telling you what to do, not asking, but telling you what to do in a way that, ah, kind of, you don't like it. I don't, I, don't, I don't exist to just do whatever you command me to do not your servant. Or maybe you've had some kind of awkward exchange with a person in authority, a judge, police officer, maybe a college professor, maybe even like a retail sales clerk, where they, they've treated you as if you were beneath them, just putting you in this role of servant. And nobody likes this. Nobody likes this experience of being forcibly put beneath another person. We don't like feeling like someone is treating us as if we are their servant. It's disrespectful. Everything in us sort of cries out, like, don't treat me this way. It can have very strong reactions in us. And yet... In our passage for today, Paul tells us that this is exactly the mindset that you and I must willingly embrace if we want to experience salvation. If we want to be transformed into the people that God made us to be, Paul says we have to have the mindset of being everyone's servant. We'll get to the text in just a second. If you're new here, though, just quickly, we're in this sermon series called Seven Steps to Spiritual Growth. And we're considering, you know, a handful of things that we have to do to experience this transformation or salvation. Two weeks ago, I talked about the first step we have to take. So we have to confess our sins. And the second step, what we're going to look at today, and I just want to emphasize this is not formulaic. It's not like you can check these boxes off and then all of a sudden become divine. There's a lot of mystery in it. There's a lot of process. Some of these things we have to do over and over throughout our lives. But these are things that we can't get away from. These are must-dos in the spiritual journey, in the Christian journey. And today, the second step I want to highlight is the importance of being a servant. This is like a, a non-negotiable if you want to grow spiritually. 
This is not necessarily just the simple you know, service project. What Paul is talking about is like a self-conception or self-identity, the way we think of who we are. He's trying to challenge the way we view ourselves in relationships with others. And he's saying that our mindset must change. We must have the mindset of being a servant. And we're going to look in Philippians at this in chapter 2, and we're going to look at 18 verses in chapter 2. And there's sort of three movements. Um, The first movement is in the first four verses, and this is sort of setting up this calling, what this calling to be a servant is about. And then in the middle is this poem. People think that this is possibly the very first song that the early church ever sang. It's a hymn. And this provides sort of like the rationale of why we can willingly choose to take on the role of servant, and the model is Jesus Christ. And then the third movement is verses 12 to 18, and this is sort of a very practical, like, what does it look like to actually live this out? If we have this mindset of being a servant, how does that play out in our everyday interactions with other people? So the first few verses, okay, this is Paul writing to the Philippians. He says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, If any common sharing in the Spirit, any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. So again, he's calling us to this way. It's not necessarily where he's saying, do these three things. He's calling us to a way of thinking about ourselves in relationship with other people, to a a life of servanthood. And this is sort of the the crux of the calling, is in verse um, 3 and 4. In humility, this is what you and I are, are called to do. In humility, to value others above ourselves. Not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interests of others. So I'll pause here for a second and notice what happens inside of you when you hear this invitation. In humility, value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interests of others. I wonder what feelings you're having. What people come to mind? What inner resistance you might be noticing? This is hard. That's because what this calling is fundamentally about is to change our orientation. Because our fundamental orientation is to self-interest. It is to a constant caretaking of self. And this calling is to stop 
doing that and to turn instead to a fundamental orientation of caretaking the other. Not self-interest, but interest in the other self. So we have to, to stop giving all that energy wondering what people think of us and instead take that time and that energy wondering about what the people around us need. Stop worrying about whether we look good in our jobs or in our new jeans and spend our time thinking about how can I help that coworker? Or does my wife need me to do her laundry? Stop obsessing about how to improve my career. Start thinking about how can I help somebody else discern God's calling in their life? And this is our default posture is to spend so much time on our own self-interest, trying to plan and prepare for our future, or take care of how we look or how people experience us. That when we try and make this shift, letting go of that self-interest and paying attention to the interests of other people, it can create some anxiety because letting go of that taking care of self, that tending to self, that constant tending to self, feels vulnerable because it feels like our self is going to die. Like if we need to make sure everything goes okay for us. It takes so much energy. So when we let go of that and start to give our energy to others, it can feel like a form of death. And Jesus calls it death. Listen to how he talks about it in the Gospel of John. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Again, setting out what this vision of living a life of love, considering other people's interests, looks like. Then, what it means for us. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. So at the heart of this way of love, of tending to the interest of other people, is the act of laying down our self-interest, which feels like sacrifice and death. In Matthew, Matthew records Jesus saying it this way, Then Jesus said to his disciple, Whoever wants to be my disciples must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Forever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life will save it. So there's this dynamic at work here where as we let go of our self-interest, it feels like our life is dying. It feels like a part of us is dying. In order to pay attention to other people's interests, we have to let go of our own self-interest, and that can feel like death. The important caveat to note is that when we do that, when we make another person's interests in our life primary, this only works, this is only the pathway to a deep and meaningful life, joy-filled life, if the motivation is love. So if you're in a relationship that's maybe a little bit exploitative or controlling, or abusive, and you sort of willingly take this role of a servant, allowing somebody else to exploit you in some way, 
this, if we stay in that place, and then we can't stay in that place and justify, well, I'm just being a servant and this is what God is calling me to do. If we're staying in that place from love, or from fear and not love. If we remain in that position of service out of fear, that's an inherently self-protective act. It's not a other-centered act of love. And we know this, right? Because if you're in a place where somebody puts you down and treats you badly and, and puts you in the place of a servant, and you don't feel like the way of love is staying in that place, but out of fear we choose to just be there, we notice what happens within us, right? We get resentment. We get bitterness. We get angry. We have contempt for that person. So just the fact that we're serving somebody else doesn't necessarily guarantee that we're in the pathway to life. The key here is to consider somebody else's interests above ours out of this motivation of love. It's not easy to define exactly then when is the moment where when someone's putting me in a position of service towards them, I need to like challenge, like the most loving act is to challenge them, and when the most loving act is to submit and to serve them. There's sort of like this posture of the soul and like the judgment, the rule of judgment is letting love guide my actions. But this transition from self-interest to others' interest can be very painful, can feel like death. And the invitation that Jesus is making to us is let go. Let go of your self-interest. Surrender to this way of love that is so vulnerable because it puts yourself at risk and live for other people. I don't know how to explain exactly what that looks like in every situation or how to feel it all or how to like know exactly how, what somebody else's best interest is. But all I know is that when we start to let go of self-interest, something inside of us screams out not to do it. When we start to truly sacrifice our life for another person's good, something inside of us freaks out. Don't do this. It's too scary. It's too vulnerable. It's touching that place of deep vulnerability within us. That existential fear and angst just screams out, take control of your life. Paul, though, is beckoning us, don't do that. Stay committed to the way of love. In order to do that, we have to believe is worth it. We have to believe that letting go of self-interest and care of self and that like managing and controlling our environment to make sure our life turns out exactly the way we need it to turn out. We have to believe that letting go of that and committing to this radical other-centered way of love is worth it. And so that's then what the second movement of our passage is about, is Paul trying to kind of use, using Jesus as the example, 
shows us how the way of humility and valuing others above and the way of service leads to the greatest possible life of glory. So Philippians 2, 5 to 11. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. This is the path that we're invited to take. Make yourself no thing, no attachment to anything, saying, that's who I am, I have that. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death. So faces all those deaths and accepts them, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. And so Paul, what he's trying to do here is, is show this downward path ultimately leads to this great path of ascent and glory. So if you and I can embrace this way of love, we, we, we unite ourselves with God, we put ourselves below other people, we give our lives away in love, and while in the world we become less than other people, and experience all sorts of death and pain because we're no longer taking care of ourselves. So we're vulnerable. But we're in the way of love. And this leads to this beautiful life of glory. Even when terrible events occurred in Christ's life, he's tempted to go back to this life of self-interest. But he wouldn't. He stayed the path. Example is the Garden of Gethsemane, right? He's literally right before the cross. What is he praying? Please, take this away from me. Take this cup away from me. But not my will, but yours be done. There's this total surrender. I will not stop living the way of love. Like I won't stop loving people in order to take control of my life and make sure something bad doesn't happen to me. I will be obedient to it, because I'm committed to living a life of love. Jesus surrenders to love, even though there's terrible threat to self. Same for you and me. As we start to take these little baby steps away from self-interest, so that we can love somebody else in maybe some small way, the more we start to go down that path of giving ourselves away to others in love, the more the threats come, trying to draw us back to a life of self-interest. You start to give yourself away in love, you spend a little bit less, fewer hours at work, then you lose your job, and then you freak out. I gotta take control again. Your spouse starts treating you badly. God's Spirit invites you to lay down your life before him, before her, in love. No have to make him see how he wronged me. Child rejects you, no longer wants to spend time with you. So I gotta, I gotta change this. I gotta make it different. I gotta, I gotta fix my kid. No. The invitation is to go in the way of love. When a parent disappoints you, how do you not get anxious? 
How do you not revert to self-interest? How do you stay the course in the way of love as you face that cross? I feel like death. I feel compelled to take all that energy back to self-protection. And that energy then is taken away from living a life of love. And Paul is highlighting that Jesus never gave in to this. He accepted whatever hardship came his way, becoming obedient to them. Even in the face of death, he would not choose the pathway of controlling others, wouldn't choose the pathway of selfish ambition, wouldn't choose the pathway of self-interest. He chose the way of love, which is the way of putting himself below other people, the God of the universe coming to earth, putting himself below other people, serving in love. And this is what we're invited to do. But everything in us hates us. Everything in me hates those cross-like moments. And so Paul is wanting to make it as clear as possible, it's worth it. What feels like going down in this world is really going up in the kingdom. There's this upside-down nature to the kingdom of God, where if you go down in the kingdom, or in the world, you go up in the kingdom. And that's what he's trying to reveal in Jesus. Jesus was at the bottom. All this bad stuff happened to him. He was rejected. He was scorned. He was abused. But he was the greatest, is the greatest in the kingdom of God. Makes it clear that this way of servanthood, putting ourselves below others, is the greatest and most glorious. And so for you and me, what that means is we've got to like take stock of our lives. And we have to notice what parts of my life move me up. And as good as it feels to like move up and have status and privilege, we have to recognize that the more we have of this, the harder it becomes for us to put ourselves beneath other people and to have the mindset of a servant, which means the harder it is to live the way of love, which means the harder it is for us to live in the kingdom of God, to enter and receive God's kingdom. If we can't put ourselves beneath other people and live in the way of love. So a few examples. So there's the privilege and status of ethnic identity. Mary and I were at a party last night, and we had like a neighborhood Christmas party that they do in January because everyone's too busy. December, but the woman who hosted it, we spent a long time talking to her, and she's a Jewish woman who grew up in Iran attending Catholic school. Very interesting story. She's quite a bit older than us, and she talked about stories of her mother growing up uh, as a Jewish person in Iran during World War II. And one of the things she said, I didn't know this, but she said that Iran used to be Persia, changed their name to Iran because of the roots uh, of, of their um, ethnic origin roots are, are close to Aryan. So Iran is close to the word Aryan. And so they wanted to emphasize their connection to the Aryan race because they thought Hitler was going to win the war. And so this woman was talking about how her mother was walking down the street and soldiers would flick cigarettes at her and say, you're next. And how there was this, this sense of people treating other people as less than because of their race. And then we talked, my wife and I, we talked, and, and she talked about how um, Japanese imperial soldiers going into Korea and how the Japanese sought to dehumanize the Koreans, so they called them dogs, and, and it allowed them to, to treat them as if they were subhuman. 
Now you look down on them and, and say, I'm above you because of my ethnicity. Tomorrow's MLK Junior Day, and so we remember that our country has a long history of white supremacy. Being white gives you a certain amount of privilege and is deeply ingrained into our collective psyche. So when we think about like taking on the mindset of a servant, we have to recognize that if we're white, this is probably going to be a little bit harder for us. We're used to society like orienting around our whiteness. We're maybe going to resist this a little bit more because being white gives us privilege and status. Same dynamic is at work if you're wealthy. If you're accustomed to paying someone else to serve you, that will form you in a way that it will make you hard to take, harder for you to take on the role of a servant, to put yourself beneath other people. If we're always paying other people to serve us, it makes it harder for us to become servants. Just recognizing that this is a reality for us. These are challenges. The things of this world that lift us up make it harder for us to go down beneath others and take the role of servant. Gender, here too. Men, we are at a disadvantage. The world privileges us in a way that makes it a little bit harder for us to put ourselves beneath women and serve them. Race, class, gender, sort of the classic dividing lines and rankings, right, of the world. But whatever kind of you can figure out how to make yourself great in this world, just remember that just makes it that much harder for us to enter and receive the kingdom, to put ourselves below other people. Whatever is privilege in this world is disadvantage in the kingdom of God. And there's other ways that there's rankings. And so whatever happens in your workplace, whatever way in your family system, however you experience positive rank lifts you up in the, in the eyes of this world, it's just going to mean it's that much harder to take on the mindset of a servant and put yourself beneath other people. In the final movement, Paul gives some practical terms of what happens in us if we can take on this mindset of Jesus Christ, thinking we're going to put ourselves below others and choose the way of love, considering their interests above our own. <laughs> Verses 12 to 18. Therefore, my friends, as you have always obeyed, kind of pulling on Jesus who was obedient to death on a cross. As you've always obeyed, not only in present, but now much more in absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to fulfill his good purpose. God is doing something else in your soul when you're facing hardship. Here's the shocker. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. Only if you're humble. Only if you're humble. So that you may become blameless and pure, children of God, because that's what God is like. He's a servant who is motivated only by love. Without fault in a warped and crooked generation, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. As you hold firmly to the word of life, that it going down is the path of life. 
And then I will be able to boast in the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering, Paul, serving, love, on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. The theme here is that there's so much joy. There's so much joy in the life of love. There's so much joy in giving ourselves away to others. When we take on the mindset of a servant and in humility consider others better than ourselves, changes the way that we live. And he says, he gives two examples. He says, we will always obey. Jesus, obedient to death on a cross. Paul says, if we take the mindset of a servant, we will always obey. What happens in you when you think about always obeying? The second thing that he says is that we will do everything without grumbling or arguing. Someone asks you to do something, you discern this is not a situation where love calls you to challenge, but to submit and serve and love. Paul says, never grumble. Never argue. And this is, I mean, I preach this because it's in the Bible, but not because I am doing This is so hard. This is so hard. But he says, if we do this, then we will become like shining stars in a crooked and depraved generation or society that's committed to self-worship and self-interest, and we will stand out because of the way and the presence of love in our lives. It'll be so remarkable that we'll glow. We'll be so not self-interested, so committed to caring for, present to what other people are going through and experiencing, We're just in the flow and the way of love. And we'll be vulnerable because we're not tending to like making sure everything works out well for us, controlling others, manipulating situations. But we'll be mirrors of the glory of Jesus as we live this life of love. I want to close with a, a moment of guided prayer. So I invite you to just close your eyes. I'm just going to invite the Holy Spirit here. God, move deep within us. This is such a hard invitation to take on the role of a servant to all people. Would you stir within each of us a person or a relationship where there is resistance to us putting ourselves beneath them in service? And now, God, would you help us to understand what it means to live in the way of love in this relationship? How do we love this person? What is in their best interest? can we join you in loving them?
close with these verses from Luke. Luke 22, 24 to 26. A dispute also arose among them, the disciples, as to which of them was to be considered the greatest. Jesus said to them, The kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves.